Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast presented by Salesforce. You know, we're coming off one of the huge weekends in regular season NFL history. And we're coming up on the last three weeks of the regular season. Lots of drama, but maybe not quite as much as we normally have. I'm going to be joined as I am every week by Miles Simmons. And you're you're really going to love Miles Simmons this week, folks. You know why? He's, uh, he just came off a red-eye flight. He's totally exhausted. He's going to be unintelligible for this entire podcast. Isn't that correct, Miles? Boy, I, I better not be, man. I don't know. I don't think those are just excuses, right? You know what coaches always talk about? We don't make excuses. I'm not making excuses. It doesn't matter if I flew from Los Angeles to Cleveland. I am here and I'm going to deliver as best a podcast performance as I possibly can. We'll see. You are the man. The man. Do you understand? Well, Merry <laughs> Christmas to all of the Simmons family. Happy holidays to all. So let's get going. Our guest this week, we got a good one. Terry Bradshaw on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. So we've got, and, and really, I learned an awful lot in this conversation with Terry Bradshaw. So we're going to hear from Terry a little bit later on. And we're going to hear about Terry Bradshaw. I never thought I would hear Terry Bradshaw and fungible tokens. But how about Terry Bradshaw getting into the NFT business? Good for you, Terry Bradshaw. So we'll hear all about that midway through our podcast. So this is a weird time in the NFL for two reasons. With three weeks left, five of the eight divisions are either clinched or the team has a three-game lead with three games to go. So we really don't have the sort of drama that oftentimes around Christmas time that we have uh, in the National Football League. And the other thing that fascinates me about this year and this time of year, I would venture to say that never, ever in NFL history, well, let's, because the Jaguars have only been in it since 1995, but never in NFL history have we gotten to Christmas week that the Lions, the Jags, the Jets, and the Giants are not only still in it, but I think at least two of those teams and maybe three are going to make 
the playoff tournament in the NFL. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, Jags at Jets Thursday, all of a sudden it matters. I'm going to break down the Chandler Jones play, the weirdest play to end a game, I think, um, in most of our lifetimes. And for me, at least, the weirdest play to end a game uh, or at the end of a game since the uh, Immaculate Reception play. We're going to discuss how the MVP is a total four-man toss-up. Miles is going to educate us on the weirdness that is the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Now, I'm going to tease this, and we're going to talk about it later, and you're going to wonder, why am I picking on Matt Ryan? I wrote in my column on Monday that, hey, Matt Ryan now has been on the losing side of the two biggest, biggest upset in Super, or the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history, the biggest comeback in regular season history. And I pointed out, what happened at the end of those games. I'll tell you, the count is at about 30 now of letters all sticking up for Matt Ryan, but I'll tell you why. And look, I love Matt Ryan. And one day he's going to be discussed probably very rightfully and aggressively for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But let's not eliminate him from any of the blame for what happened in those two games. But we'll get to that. The Bengals are dangerous. The Patriots are sinking like stones. The Dolphins just had the moral victory of 2022. And I'll tell you why that matters. I've got so much admiration for Andy Reid and his team in Kansas City. Arizona needs to clean house. The Philly-Dallas game is the game of the week, but does it really matter? And Miles is going to quiz me at the end of our podcast. So you... This is like the ultimate tease. Now you've got to hang around for the next 50, 55 minutes. Miles is going to quiz me on what it's like to smoke a doobie with the Doobie Brothers. So that's probably the weirdest combination intro in the history of the Peter King podcast presented by Salesforce. But there we go, Miles. Now, Miles, let's start with what I think is really kind of a strange situation for this time of year with so many divisions now, not necessarily decided. But I mean, Buffalo obviously is going to win the AFC East. Uh, Kansas City uh, is going to win the AFC West, has won the AFC West. Philly is going to win the NFC East. Minnesota uh, has won the North. And San Francisco has won the NFC West. For such an exciting, incredibly interesting season, that's one of the weird things that five of the eight divisions basically have been put to bed with three weeks to go. Yeah, it's interesting because I I didn't necessarily expect it to be like this, at least for some of the divisions that have now been decided already. I mean, between the NFC West... I mean, I didn't think that that would be San Francisco's by now. I mean, from a preseason standpoint, I thought San Francisco and the Rams would probably be battling it out. But then once the season got started and Seattle got off to the start that they did, I thought 
that things would still be a little more in flux between the 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks, but clearly that's just not the case. And I mean, for all of what we discussed about the sort of quote unquote arms race, right in the AFC West throughout the off season and look what the chiefs did. I mean, that division was basically decided by Thanksgiving and then they go to Houston. Yeah. They needed overtime to do it, but they still came out a winner in that game and have clinched the AFC West. And frankly, a lot of those teams that we thought could be really good, I mean, they're all right. Chargers, they're looking better. The the Raiders, I think, are a huge disappointment. The Broncos are obviously a severe disappointment. So those two divisions in particular kind of really interest me, Peter. You know, what what you just said about the West, I was I I was wrong about a lot this year. I thought the uh, we Saints all? would have the best record in the in the NFC. I thought the Packers were going to go to the Super Bowl, but I was probably most wrong on saying that the AFC West is the best division maybe in the 20-year history since they went to eight four-team divisions. And I'll tell you one thing that I think is 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 the the biggest reason is the my overrating of the quarterbacks in the Mm. AFC West, namely Russell Wilson and Derek Carr. You know, Derek Carr has had a disappointing year. You can cut it any way you want. You can say, well, geez, look at all the problems they've had on defense. And look at this. Derek Carr has not been the rising tide to lift all boats, period. Okay. Now they still have a chance. They got to run the table, but you know, Hey, it's weird. They're playing at Pittsburgh this week. And Pittsburgh's got a chance, too, because look at how good the Steelers have been playing. Look at how well the Steelers have been playing. But And the other one, obviously, Russell Wilson, the most overrated uh, trade or maybe the most disappointing trade in recent or it's got to be up there unless he really turns it around in NFL history. And those two things that have happened right now, um, you know, the fact that those two quarterbacks have been disappointing, I think, is the biggest reason for that. Miles, let's just jump to your view of the Chargers. I'm really, really interested in the Chargers. And you know what play interested me so much about that game? You know, obviously, late in the game, tie game, Chargers are trying to end it with Tennessee, uh, you know, instead of going to overtime. And 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 Justin Herbert rolls right, and he throws this laser thirty-two yards in the air to Mike Williams, and I just said to myself, every person who roots for an NFL team watches that play and says, almost everyone, I'd say, twenty-six or twenty-seven fan bases watch that play and say, I wish that was my quarterback, because. That was just a great play at a huge time of game. And Miles, it just tells me that if Mike Williams, and obviously Williams catches it, leads to the field goal by Dicker the kicker, and all of a sudden, you know, the Chargers are 8-6. and six, They're in the playoffs. They have Indianapolis on Monday night. If they go to 9-6, and six, they're very, very close to us penciling them in. But I think what it says is, you have Keenan Allen and you have Mike Williams. If you tell me right now that they're going to be healthy on Wild Card Weekend, I might pick the Chiefs. But anyway, what do you see out of them right now? 
Well, it, I, I see a lot of what you were just saying. You know, you have a Keenan Allen and you have a Mike Williams that are both healthy at the same time. And that really has not been the case for most of the season. I mean, Keenan Allen went out in week one against the Raiders and then Mike Williams went out. Uh, I think it was week seven against Seattle when they were both playing together for the first time. And now they're starting to get into that rhythm. I mean, I love the way Justin Herbert plays. Sometimes I get a little frustrated with the design of the offense and the way that those play calls come in. I mean, there was, they were trying to go on a four-minute drive to try to end the thing against the Titans, you know, and you get on third and 10, a little screen pass to Austin Eckler when you have the guy with that arm and the guy with those weapons that we're just talking about in Allen and Williams, and you're not giving him a chance to get the ball to, to throw the ball to the sticks, right? That's the thing that a little bit annoys me when I watch the Chargers, but... You know, they've been doing this in the last couple of weeks and playing extremely well defensively without their best defensive player in Derwin James. And so it looks like Derwin James may be able to come back or at least get into practice this week. But when you add him to what they've been doing in the last two weeks, that should only make them better. You know, you add Joey Bosa, and it seems like he's going to be coming back soon, yeah. but he's not been in practice yet. When you add him to what they're doing, that makes them even better. So they're getting hot at the right time. And depending on the matchup that they would get in the postseason, you know, whether they are, I mean, because at this point, they really could be anywhere from the five to the seven seed, depending on what Baltimore does, right? So if, if they get in there and they get a favorable matchup, if they got to go to Tennessee as a five seed and they play them as the four yeah. seed, or maybe it's Jacksonville, I, I think that they can win, you know? So that's, they're getting hot at the right time is basically what I, I see from them. And that's good. Look, I'll tell you this, you know, let's get into these unlikely teams right now because that is what is so compelling about this season, Miles. Yeah. It is that it's not just the usual suspects. I love the fact that we are seeing the Jags, the Lions, the Jets, the Giants, enter the last three weeks of the season all with legitimate chances to make the playoffs. And Miles, you have to admit, and I remember I wrote about this back in May, the schedule comes out and I look at the week 16 Thursday night game, December 22. Yeah, It stuck out like the biggest sore thumb on the NFL schedule. Jacksonville at the New York Jets. Have a holly jolly Christmas with the worst game on the NFL schedule in prime time three days before Christmas. Oh, I thought immediately. I said, I know what I'm doing on December 22. I'm going to do all of my Christmas shopping because I'm certainly not going to invest my time watching Jags at Jets. But yeah. I'll tell you, I had an interesting conversation on Sunday after the Jags beat the Cowboys in overtime on the walk-off Rayshon Jenkins uh, interception, the former Charger. This is this is really interesting, okay, at least to me. So Rayshon Jenkins played the first four years of his career uh, with the L.A. Chargers, drafted, went out there. He's a St. Petersburg kid. He played five years at the University of Miami. Did, never wants to step outside, you know, once he, you know, retires everything. He will live in the state of Florida. So when he was a free agent, he told me 
His goal was to get back to the state of Florida. The Jags wanted him. The Jags had some money. And he understood that they were they had been losing all the time. But he wanted to go back to the state of Florida, which obviously was a huge draw for him and really paid off for them. But I asked him, I said, listen, you got to be a little bit shocked about what exactly is going on with your team. You got on that plane to come home from London after a terrible loss to the Denver Broncos. And you're two and six. And we're all saying, same old Jags. And he told me, no one on our team thought that. Because he said, if you look at the games we played, so many of them were close. We make this mistake, we make that mistake. And he said, I know that everybody always says this, but we really believed it that we were very close. And he's been right. You know, they're four and two since then, since coming back from from London and that loss. And look, Miles, after Tennessee lost on Sunday and, and didn't really play all that well, obviously, but after Tennessee lost, I took out my schedule grid, okay, as I've got right here. And my schedule grid, I basically took out the schedule grid and I said, okay, let's look at the Jaguars and let's look at Tennessee. Okay, Tennessee right now, seven and seven, first place, AFC South. Jaguars, six and eight, one game out. Jaguars have the tiebreaker edge by virtue of the victory a couple of weeks ago in Tennessee. So now let's look at what they have. Tennessee, Houston at home. Dallas at home, at Jacksonville, mm-hmm. Jacksonville now, at the Jets, at Houston, Tennessee at home. So here's what I would say, Miles Simmons. Amazon is the luckiest error of NFL games in the history of NFL games because the worst game far and away on their schedule has now turned into a playoff game. Because Jacksonville and the Jets both desperately need this game. So I don't know. I throw that out to you. I throw that out to you. Give me your thoughts on this Thursday night barn burner at the Meadowlands. The the one thing it's gonna be missing in all likelihood, it seems like, is Mike White. And you know, Zach Wilson is still a young QB, and I'm not trying to say he's going to be bad forever, but I think today, as we sit here in December of 2022, Mike White is clearly the better option at quarterback for the New York Jets than Zach Wilson, right? And Zach Wilson did some good things in that game against the Lions, but it's just the way that that offense functions with Mike White. You feel the rhythm, you feel the timing. And I think if we saw that version of the Jets versus the version of the Jaguars that's been coming up for these last few weeks, man, that would be a much better matchup. But at the same time, the Jets can win with defense, right? That defense absolutely held together against one of the really good offenses in the league in Detroit on Sunday. Now they didn't win that game, but I think that also has to do with the offense not functioning at as high a level as it could possibly do. So yeah, Amazon got lucky that this game now becomes very relevant here in late December, but I just, I, I feel like the Jaguars really have an edge given the way that they're playing and given the other team's quarterback that's probably going to be playing in this game. 
Boomer Esiason on WFAN Radio in New York. We're, we're recording this on Tuesday. He had a great little monologue on his show uh, on Tuesday morning. And he talked about how when he watched this game in the CBS studio on Sunday, he was thinking that Zach Wilson probably uh, deserved like a C-minus grade. And he said, and I, I, I praise him for this. He said on the radio that now that I watch the All-22, I, I watched the whole game because I really wanted to watch Zach Wilson closely, said it's worse than a C-. minus. He said he missed oh. so many open receivers, and so many of his throws were off. Um, but I think Boomer said it exactly correct. Okay, listen, you know, you are balancing two things. Greg Giannotti, his co-host, said... Oh, you should play Flacco if uh, if uh, uh, Mike White isn't ready. And I just thought, oh, man, don't do that. You know, we've seen <laughs> Joe Flacco enough right now. Plus, y you know, there's no real evidence that Flacco would be any better than Zach Wilson, right. uh, at least at yeah. this stage of his career. This is 2022, mm -hmm. not 2012. But I guess overall, I would just say Robert Sala is in a very, very tough place. He has been tasked to get the second pick in the 2021 draft up to speed and playing winning football. And two or three times a game, he's got a great arm for a guy who's that slight, okay? Because Zach Wilson's yeah. not a big guy, but he has a great arm. He can move around in the pocket. He just isn't accurate, you know? And that, yeah. I think, is going to end up I'm not saying it's going to be the death knell, but man, he's got a lot to overcome if he's not going to be an accurate thrower of the football. But got a lot of things to get to, so let's move on. I, I would, I would ask you, Miles, the unlikely teams right now to make the playoffs this year. Okay, Lions, Jags, Jets, Giants. Who do you like to make the playoffs? But, but not just that because I think two or three of those teams are going to make the playoffs. But who could win a game in in January? I, I'll give you mine first. I'm going to take the Lions. Okay. Especially yeah. if it's Lions at Minnesota. And look, I think Minnesota could beat anybody, but Minnesota also can lose to anybody. Any team that falls behind the Indianapolis Colts at home, 33 to nothing. <laughs> Uh, you know, in the first uh, 36 minutes of a game. Uh, I, I'm sorry, all you Viking defenders, stop. Just stop. Don't tell me how great your team is. You're not a great team. So I think, you know, if either the Giants or the Lions, especially the Lions, face uh, Minnesota in the playoffs, I think the Lions are, you know, could win the game. Now, the Lions are not winning in San Francisco. They're not winning in Philadelphia. I get that, but I kind of like the Lions. Give me your upstart. I like I like that pick, especially if the Lions are playing Minnesota. They know that team well. It's a division matchup. I, I think the Jaguars, if they continue their ascent and they beat the Titans and they go to the postseason, 
I think they might be able to beat a five seed that would be in the in the AFC, depending on who it is. Right? I think that they could beat the Chargers, especially at home. They went to Los Angeles and beat the brakes out of the Chargers earlier this season. You know, if it happens to be Baltimore that stays in the five seed, I think that they could probably beat Baltimore too because they could maybe outscore them. I mean, Trevor Lawrence right now is showing that he yeah. can go toe-to-toe with any quarterback out there, and his chemistry Absolutely. with Zay Jones Absolutely. is off the charts. So I, I think that because of the way that they can score, and yeah, they've got some dudes on defense too who can get after the passer, I, I think that they could get in and they could win a game if they're there. Agree totally. Let's switch in a weird segue to one of the greatest ends to a game in NFL history. And I talked to Chandler Jones Sunday night. Um, and, and I, I said to him, I've been covering football for a long time, watching football for a long time. And the only end of game that's as shocking that I remember truly shocking is the immaculate reception game. Hmm. And I said, you, you know that, right? Or do, do you remember that? He goes, refresh me. So I told him, you know, 50 years ago, uh, Steelers have fourth and 10, 22 seconds left, playoff game against the Raiders. They're down 7-6. Bradshaw rolls right, throws a laser to what he thinks is, he does he never sees it. He throws a laser to Frenchie Fuqua, gets knocked down. Fuqua gets, gets absolutely manhandled, planted into the ground by Jack Tatum in a huge collision. The ball comes back lands in Franco Harris's hands and uh, all of a sudden uh, Franco Harris is running down for the winning touchdown. A lot of debate, you know, a lot of argument. Did he catch it? All that. And the officials ruled after about 15 minutes, it was a touchdown. And uh, so I told him about that and he goes, pretty amazing. And I said to him, listen, Chandler, here's what's amazing. You're playing the Steelers this week. Raiders Steelers in Pittsburgh on the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. I said, now that is amazing. But anyway, so that play to me illustrated exactly where the New England Patriots are, quite honestly. You know, in a tie game, you don't play 50 laterals fire drill play. You don't do that. You take the ball, you try to score, and when you realize you can't, Get down, play for overtime. Ramondre Stevenson, and a lot of people said, hey, you should have made Ramondre Stevenson the GOAT. He's the one who started it. I made Jacoby Myers the GOAT because he threw the ball, whatever, 26 yards in the air, and it was intercepted by Chandler Jones, and obviously he runs it back. But, Miles, this really, you know, we've always thought There's a lot of smart teams in football. Nobody's smarter than the Patriots. And I'm telling you, the people in that locker room love Jacoby Myers. He's probably the most beloved guy on the team. So nobody was throwing him under the bus afterwards. But the fact is, Jacoby Myers, unfortunately, he'll always be remembered, no matter what he does in his NFL career, for one of the most boneheaded plays a player has ever made. Yeah, and that is unfortunate, but it's just the outcome, man. I mean, that was, like you said, one of the craziest endings to a game that you could ever see. And it's not something that was coached. And I give Jacoby Myers credit for standing there and answering the questions and being accountable for his mistake. Because 
I, this is just a philosophy thing, I guess, that I have, but I don't ever think it's right if you make a mistake and then somebody else has to talk about that mistake for you, right? And yeah, the coach has to talk about it, but don't make the other players talk about your mistake for you. Stand up there and just answer the questions. Right. And to his credit, he absolutely did that. And so it's just one of those things that we're always going to remember, but I also am going to remember how Jacoby Myers took accountability for what he did and the colossal mistake that he made. And frankly, I don't know that we're ever going to see something like that again, Peter. <laughs> At least we shouldn't. I don't either. That just absolutely amazing. Okay, listen. We've got a lot to get to in the remainder of our podcast. Um, but I'm going to get to Terry Bradshaw right now. And I just, before we start, I just want to tell you that uh, I've gotten to know Bradshaw pretty well over the years. And I, I'm just a big fan of Bradshaw, you know, especially because he's just a different cat. He is. And he got mentally totally beat up early in his career in Pittsburgh. And which is why right now, honestly, and I'm going to write a little bit in my column this week about Terry Bradshaw discussing why young quarterbacks need to be given more time um, than they are right now. He really, he puts himself totally in Zach Wilson's shoes. Mm. He, he really does. So, but, but anyway, Terry Bradshaw and the Immaculate Reception is so cool and look, for those of you who don't know about the Immaculate Reception, I'm just telling you, read my column this week. Look at the, the link I put in my column to the Kurt Gowdy call on NBC 50 years ago this week to the end of that game and what an incredible finish that was. But now, let's go to my conversation with Terry Bradshaw. Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha Evolocumab is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu-like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit Repatha.com or call 1-844-REPATHA. Talk to your doctor today about Repatha. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada ba ba ba. At participating McDonald's. Back on the podcast, so happy to be joined, as I mentioned, by Terry Bradshaw, the Hall of Fame quarterback and um, guy I've gotten to know over the years, and I really, really enjoy 
anytime I get a chance to talk to him. So, Terry, how's life going this Christmas season? It's going good, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no complaints. Health is good. Family's good. Um, good. Got all my Christmas shopping done early. Finished. <laughs> you're, so that's good. you're a, you're a, you're you're ahead of me. So, but anyway, yeah. um, Terry. You know, every time this time of year comes around, uh, because my wife is from Pittsburgh, she grew up in Dormont, and uh, we go back there a lot. Every time this time of year comes around, I not only think of Christmas, I think of that incredible football game on December 23rd, 1972, um, between the Oakland Raiders and the Pittsburgh Steelers, that has been known as the Immaculate Reception Game. And uh, that's the big reason why we're having you on this week to discuss it. The Raiders and Steelers will play, in essence, a 50th anniversary uh, uh, game. They play on the 24th, on Christmas Eve uh, this year. And so it'll be 50 years in one day after the game. And I want to start with an overview question, if I can. How often do people, to you, how often do people bring up the Immaculate Reception? This year, since it's the 50th uh, anniversary, uh, quite a bit. Normally throughout the calendar year, I will maybe have one or two, almost Every year, though, it does come up, but this year, quite a bit. So for those who don't know the specifics of the play, let's, uh, let's talk about the specifics of the play. The Oakland Raiders were playing a playoff game in Pittsburgh, a divisional playoff game, on December 23rd, 1972. And in this game, the Raiders were ahead 7-6 to six, with about 30 seconds left in the game. <clears throat> and the Raiders had bedeviled you so much in this game, had really swarmed around you a lot. And, you know, their defense played fairly up to that point a masterful game for 59 minutes and 30 seconds. And on that play, the reason why it has become part of American sporting lore, you threw a pass that either bounced off the helmet of Jack Tatum, the Raiders' safety, or bounced off the hands of the intended receiver, Frenchie Fuqua, and bounced into the hands of Franco Harris, who caught it just before it hit the ground, and he ran for a touchdown to win the game. And John Madden, the Raiders coach, was furious. Uh, he believed that it should not have counted. The referee in the game, Fred Swearingen, uh, went to a phone in the dugout because you guys played, obviously, at Three Rivers Stadium, where also the Pittsburgh Pirates played. And he went into the dugout and he called upstairs to where Art McNally, the supervisor of officials, was. And he basically wondered, what did you see? And McNally said to him, according to McNally, listen, this is your call. I can't help you. 
We don't, we don't have that. That isn't in place. It's your call. So he made the call and he called it a touchdown. All heck broke loose. One of the greatest wins in the history of the Steelers, maybe the greatest other than a Super Bowl, the Super Bowl victories. And, you know, people loved you. They love Franco and, and all that. And so I preface my question with that just so that people will understand, but can you describe to me your memory from the time you took the snap of the ball with 30 seconds to go? It was fourth down, um, a hard-fought game. Kenny, Kenny Stabler actually had come in for Daryl LaMonica and scrambled, I don't know how many yards, for a touchdown, maybe 30-something yards. Um, or we wouldn't have been in this position. Uh, three incomplete passes. Um, the fourth down, this was fourth, fourth down. Um, I remember in the huddle on the previous three plays talking, you know, to the receivers and uh, the linemen and uh, we'll try this. What do you, you know, I'm going to think this tight end says, can I said, can you do this? Yeah, I can do that. And so it was a, a lot of conversation going on because we had had, no success all day long throwing. Um, so the, the call was uh, full right split, flanker to the right, tight end to the right, fullback um, would be to the right, uh, and the halfback French would be to the left, split over the tackles, and a split in. What's the name of the play again? Tell me the name of the play. The play called with full right split, 66 circle option simple play and the key was to pick up the safety if he came down and bit on on uh, frenchy coming out um then i would go to the split end who had the option of of um either go to the post the corner or take off um what happened? I never got to go through the read because I was flushed out of the pocket. So I, I moved to the right and pressure from the right was coming and I avoided the sack. I swung my right arm up high to avoid being tackled. And then the pendulum, when I came back down, I saw a black jersey going over the middle of the field and I just gunned it. And that person was Frenchie Fuqua, our halfback. <clears throat> I got hit. I'm on the ground. I hear the roar of the crowd. And I knew it was a touchdown. Um, so I'm like. You didn't know so, how. <laughs> no, no. Well, I create this thing, Peter, where I go, man, I really put it in there, didn't I? I hit it. I probably hit him dead in stride and whoever it was I threw to just swept it on down the sideline. And then, and, you know, I'm not having any idea who that was. I, it was too fast. Uh, and on the ground, I heard the roar and I got up, touched down and I'm looking around. People are swarming me and I'm like, what happened? You know, what happened? Tell me what happened. And so everybody, people say, 
Well, it went to Frenchie got the ball went flying in the air. Franco got the football and Franco ran for the touchdown. And I'm kind of like you. I'm looking at you now and just sitting there and like, really? <laughs> really? That's what happened. <laughs> and didn't really understand what happened till later because it was chaos. Then we found out about the uh, the phone and John Madden. We, we found out two questions. Who who touched it last? Back then the rule was uh, that the opposing team had to touch the ball last before the um, other team could take possession. Uh, so did uh, Jack Tatum hit the football and then Franco caught it. That's fine. That's a touchdown. Uh, but if the ball goes, if Frenchie touched it last, then the ball, the pass should have been incomplete. And then the second question was, did Franco catch it? And for years, I didn't think he caught it until recently. And I've seen the end zone footage and he caught it actually about, oh, it's about a foot off the ground. So he made a great catch. I had the opportunity to speak with uh, Franco about that play. He has such great memory of what happened. And 66, uh, the call 66 tells the tight end to stay in and block, tells the fullback to stay in and block. And in the play from the end zone, Franco doesn't block anybody. <laughs> <laughs> he is standing there and he kind of eases over to the left and, uh, when I fired the football, Franco told me that John, I mean, that uh, his coach at uh, Joe Paterno at Penn State has always told him when the quarterback throws the ball, run to the football. And that's that's re really his college coaching is the reason why he caught that pass because he turned uh, when the ball was gone and took off downfield and the ball came his way. So that's that's my recollection. I, I, I don't know. Uh, a lot of people have a different opinion of that play, I guess. But the simple fact is this. We'll never know who touched it last. We did not have high-def television in those days. And we didn't have, you know, 20 tape machines and 32 cameras like we have Isn't today. Isn't there something good about that, though? Isn't yes. there something good to have a mystery? Yes, that's what I was going to tell you. We we're striving so hard to not make a, a mistake now in our TV coverage that we're missing out on really what made the NFL so great. And it was the immaculate reception. It was the stabler fumble against San Diego where they rolled it deliberately into the end zone. I mean, it was things right. like that, that people absolutely got in an uproar over. And therefore, when those teams played again, TV ratings would go through the roof and, and the, uh, you know, the competition in those games was fierce. And the Steeler-Raider rivalry started right there. It started right there because they felt we robbed them of an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl. And if I was on their side, I'd have felt the same way. So every time we played, um, 
Oakland was just brutal. It was the hardest games of my career was playing the Raiders after that after that uh, uh, playoff game in '72. So the, yeah, there's the good thing. Terry, let me let me just go back now because you referred to it, and I just want to make sure that everybody understands because a lot of people over the years have said, "Who cares who touched it first? If Franco caught it before it hit the ground." And he runs for a touchdown, touchdown. But the rule at the time was if an offensive player touched the ball first without a defensive player also touching the ball, that he's the only person at the time who could possess the ball. So if uh, Jack Tatum did not touch the football on that play, then it, it the touchdown would be illegal. And obviously, Fred Swearingen and his crew, n- not knowing for sure and having originally called it a touchdown, they didn't know for sure that the ball hit uh, Jack Tatum. But in all the replays I've ever seen, I, I just, I feel like there's a better than 50-50 chance that Jack Tatum touched that ball. You know, ball I, I can't say for sure, but it appeared to me that there was a better than 50-50 chance. Here's what happened. If you look at the play, he is Jack Tatum is crashing down on the French Fuqua full yeah. speed ahead. So there ha- there was the collision. And I believe I don't have any question that Jack uh hit the ball and the simple reason is the ball came too far back. The other thing is yeah. The pass wasn't going to hit Frenchie in the chest because his arms are outreached to catch the football. So you can't have outreached arms. The ball hits your hands outreached and go back, to, you know, 20, 25 feet. So I believe right. the, the impetus was given by Jack Tatum when he collisioned in there because he, he went through his hands. And so it had to hit him. Now, Mike, I've always said, look, if you want a perfect game, we had it today when we went back and we could apply high direct to it and slow it down, you would have a better understanding. But here we are 50 years later talking about a rule. And because (laughs) of that, a rule was changed. You know, it's like the bump and run with Mel Blunt. It was nobody could get around him. So they changed the rules. It's like NASCAR, change the rules, make it where, you know, uh, the uh, the rule actually was changed for the better because now an offensive player can doesn't have to recover his own fumble, you know, especially inside two minutes or at the goal line. So there have been some good rules, but I have no question that Tatum touched the ball. I, that is not even of, of, of a concern for me. He hit it, and did he drive it through Frenchie's hands? And there is, we would have had that answer today. We would have seen with the outstretch and the ball come off of Jack and it would, did it go through Frenchie's hands before Franco touched it? If Frenchie touched it last exact, like you just explained, it should have been ruled an incomplete pass. Yeah. Um, you know what is interesting over the years? Frenchie Fuqua, who's 75 years old today, has always played it coy about that. You know, he's always, it's almost like he wants to keep the drama alive. So 
in a in a very private moment, a private conversation, what has Frenchie told you about the play? Same thing. I've asked him. I've asked him repeatedly. Uh, I asked Franco repeatedly. Finally, this year, I actually told Franco, "Hey, I know you caught it. I saw it. Uh, uh, I'm from a different angle, so I know you caught it." So he doesn't dispute <clears throat> for a long time. Everybody, well, he didn't catch it. He trapped it. And I always said, well, he had the worst hands on the football team. He had to have trapped it. There's no way he could have caught it. <laughs> yeah. but he, I'm not worried about Franco. And Frenchy, <clears throat> Frenchy's claiming he's got it written down. It's in a safe. And when he's dead, they'll be able to go in, open up the vault, call a press conference, and they'll roll <laughs> it out. And he'll go, I touched it last. <laughs> you know. Terry, you know what is so interesting hey, you know about what? Good it? Good for him, Peter. Yeah. The what? The what? I said, what? You? I talked while you were talking. Sorry. No, I. the point I was going to make is what is so interesting about it is here we are. It's the 50th anniversary of the game. And Franco Harris is 72. You are 74. And Frenchie Fuqua is 75. And you're all still on this planet, which you have to admit, Terry, there were times when you wondered if you'd make it to age 74. Well, if you're talking about this year, yeah, <clears throat> bouts with cancer, yes. But yeah. I will say, I will say this, Peter. I never questioned uh, the two cancers that I had this year. Uh, I never questioned the fact that I was dying. Um, I never had the fear of death. I never gave death a concern. Uh, I knew I would do whatever I had to do to get well. Uh, and I never had fear of the results one way or the other that's just because of my faith uh, I, I always told everybody yeah. hey if i don't make it I'm, I'm going to happen and if i do make it i'm gonna get here and be able to do peter peter king's podcast so i mean that's you know that's <laughs> that's what kept me going so you know thank god i'm you know today i'm cancer free and uh we stay on top of it and Pray every day that I, you know, that good health keeps coming my way and, you know, move on, live every day and enjoy it. How do you look back right now at that moment in your career and in your history with all the great moments you had and all the not so great moments too, especially in your first couple three years as a stealer but how do you look back on this moment it wasn't a super bowl winning moment but it was an incredible moment well it was the beginning it was the beginning of a young football team uh developing into a championship team and then what people call later a dynasty because of we won so many super bowls so I look back on it now and I don't look back. I'm not a person that looks back. I am anything but that. But 
um, you ask me a question, I'll answer it. I'm very proud of myself and how I handled um, both success and adversity and have applied them to my everyday life with my wife and my kids, grandkids. Um, I have uh, no regrets, none, zero. Um, I'll talk and I'll say, Things like, oh man, I wish I could have played today with the rules and and uh, thrown for you know eighty thousand yards and you know three hundred, four hundred touchdowns. I, of course, there's always that element of your life as a player, as a competitor, that you always have uh, because you don't like. I don't like people forgetting how good we all were in the seventies. Me. Um, Fouts, Kenny Anderson, Greasy, people that are, you know, I've read where they said we should be out of the Hall of Fame because we don't have the numbers. And I keep thinking, <laughs> I keep thinking, if there's one thing that really galls me, numbers, what do you mean? Though for a lot of yardage and don't everyone at Super Bowl, that, that kind of number? Yeah. So I get lost up. I get lost in that kind of thinking. And, uh, that wasn't, I didn't play the game to throw for a lot of yards. I played the game to win. And so I look back and uh, my wife knows as well. We've had, I've told her this, that, you know, I'm proud of what we accomplished as a football team. I was singled out, which really isn't fair um, because it takes all of us to do our jobs uh, to be successful nobody does it by themselves and the fact that uh i can walk into a room with namath montana uh tom brady um brian greasy uh, and not feel as though i'm a second class quarterback you know because i i can put four rings on the table and not say a word Say what you want to around. There they are. There's four rings. Someone had to call those plays, which I did. You know, someone had to throw those <laughs> passes, break that offense, which I did. Uh, but I don't say those things. I just, here, there it is. So I look back on my career. I'm, I, I, and I do it the right way because I, a psychiatrist always tells, tells you to, aren't you proud of yourself? Not I'm proud of you, but aren't you proud of yourself? And I am proud of myself, and it's important. When Terrell Owens says, I love me some me, and I'm, you think about it, it's important that he loves himself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we may take it wrong. It's important for you to feel like that. And uh, I'm very proud of myself for putting, not putting up, but uh, getting up off the turf and struggling early in the career. That's why you'll hear me on television. I always say this about young quarterbacks, put some talent around them. You know, the kid in New York with the Jets Wilson struggling right now, put some talent around him, give him some time, build his confidence yeah. up. And you'll see that you'll see why he was drafted. The second person in the draft. I mean, he's a, but we're so quick now. 
And so I'm very blessed to have played in a period where I did struggle coming out of a small school. I had to learn how to play in the NFL, had to learn how to talk to the press, had to learn how I'd never been booed, got booed, got benched, put back. I I appreciate all of that. And so that's why I say I'm proud of myself because I, I never gave up on my dream, which was to always just play in the NFL. And then when that happened, you realize the only thing that matters is getting in the playoff game. And then you realize the only thing matters is winning those games and playing the Super Bowl. And then you realize the only thing matters is winning it. So, yeah, that's the way Harry, I look I'm, at it. I'm, I'm fascinated by your, uh, and I have been, we've had part of this conversation before about young quarterbacks. Geno Smith told me something about a month ago or so. And he said, uh, the biggest problem is that young quarterbacks don't get enough time because they, uh, people want results immediately. They draft players high. They want results immediately. And he said, look at Peyton Manning's first year in Indianapolis. How did that end? Were people sure at the end of that year that he was a franchise guy? I doubt it. Look at Troy Aikman's first year in Dallas. 1-15, didn't play all the time, but went 1-15. People were doubting Troy Aikman. Look at Steve Young, his first year in Tampa. It was a disaster. And everybody is saying, oh, Steve Young, whatever. Well, Bill Walsh saw enough to say, I'll trade for him and, you know, you know, whatever. He's in the Hall of Fame now. But I always think, and look, Geno Smith took a very circuitous route. He sat for seven years, basically, which is, you know, not happened before. But talk to me a little bit about if you – we're a general manager, a coach, whatever, and you draft a quarterback in the top five, how do you deal with it? And how do you deal with the immense public pressure for that guy to be good right away? Yeah. First of all, if I'm general manager and we need a quarterback and we've got the guy out there and we're going to be able to draft him, I'd want the, <clears throat> I would want the, um, the coach, to know that we're going to draft this guy and here's, here's his, uh, here's his makeup. You know, he's uh, a smart kid. Uh, he, he's tough. He can handle adversity. Uh, you know, you got to do that psychological evaluation. Um, <clears throat> then I'd say, look, he's probably going to struggle. Um, you got to coach him. You got to keep him. You got to build him up. We got to be careful with him. Uh, we're going to need to get him a better tackle. We've got to protect him, number one. We've got to give him time. We're going to build our offensive line. We've got to give him weapons. Uh, I would explain all of this. And when I brought that kid in, I would have loved to have heard this. Look, we know we're a bad football team because you were the first pick in the draft. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. you're bad. But Peyton Manning broke my interception record for a rookie. So, and look where Peyton Manning ended up. So I would say to yeah. him, you know, <laughs> it's going to be tough, but I would nurture him at the same time and assure him we're going to build some talent around you because the first thing that young quarterback probably is going to lose is his confidence because he can't do what he did at Purdue or Notre Dame or Louisiana Tech. Uh, he can't hold the ball. He can't outrun the people. Uh, it's a whole new game. 
and I've got to protect him uh, from himself. So I want to make sure I got a handle on that. I want him to understand, you know, exactly what's going on. Explain to him what we're going to do because Gino is a second round draft choice. Gino um, Smith. He's a second yeah. round draft choice out of West Virginia. And it took seven years of hard knocks and him never giving yeah. up and him learning how to play. And then he ends up with a coach that's a sugar bear. That's uh, this lovey dovey and, you know, puts right. his arms and lifts you up. So he's at a perfect place. He's got quality people around him and he is playing lights out. And that's what's going to happen to a lot of these kids. But you have to understand, and, and you got to communicate it to the to the fans. Look, we got a long way to go here. He's part of the equation, but we got to give him time to throw the football. You got to defend him. You got to protect him because they'll eat him alive, and he'll lose his confidence. So that's why I say on television: give him some receivers, give him time to read the coverage. Give him a defense, uh, you know, give him time to, you know, to, to throw the football, give him time, you know, to make the adjustments at the line of scrimmage. You gotta, you gotta put people around him. If you don't put people around him that are talented, you're going to struggle. And then people are going to yeah. say, you're a bust. you're a bust, you know? Well, you can't be that good in high school and college. Why do you not make it in the NFL? There is no reasoning behind that negative thought process. You should make it. And Steve Young, as you said to alluded to earlier, is a perfect example. I covered him his rookie year when I was working for CBS. And I'll say this. Here's how I'll say it. He was terrible. Okay, why was he terrible? Man, he was running for, he was running for his life. He'd come out of yeah. that world whatever it was and running for his life. He had, didn't have time. He had no receivers. And he was, as they would say back then, you know, he was a bust, but he got with a guy that knew talent and knew I could protect him and put him in an offense. That is the West coast offense. that gets rid of the football quickly. You got to have a smart mind. He has that. And the rest is the hall of fame, a hall of fame career. So I'm really, you know, Terry, what what is so interesting about what you say, and I hear you talk about this on TV, and you just said something. You know, if you watch the highlights of Zach Wilson at Brigham Young, and obviously Brigham Young is not Alabama. I get it. I get it. But if you so watch if you watch two games of Zach Wilson at Brigham Young, you understand that he really has a chance to play well at the next level. And, you know, to me, it is as much about confidence as anything else. And you can explain that to people because you were the first pick in the draft and you spent your first three years getting beat over the head. Like, can we please find somebody to replace this guy? What does that do to a person? And, and that's why to me, when I look at a guy, I, I look at Daniel Jones, I, I, if I were the Giants, I'd, I wouldn't re-sign Daniel Jones to $40 million a year. I'd re-sign him 
look at the people he had around him. You can't even name a tight end. His wide receivers are, you know, who knows who they are. And, you know, I just think for some reason, we like to eat our young when it comes to judging quarterbacks. And it just, it really, really bugs me. That's all. You're you're right. <clears throat> now let's take a good, let's look at a situation that's exactly what I just told you about. And it's made all the difference in the world. Philadelphia Eagles and Jalen Hurts. Yeah. They, what'd they do? They got him a wide receiver in the draft in Smith. They bring Brown over. Brown, I was shocked they got him. Two quality wide receivers. He's getting his tight end back. Three great wide receivers. A great one coming off the bench. A running game. Uh, guy rushed for 50, 150 yards week four last. A defense that's smothering people. Bingo. Jalen Hurts, a second-round yeah. pick. A guy that was put on the bench by Nick Saban in Alabama who transfers to Oklahoma and gets in an offense that's loaded with talent under uh, Riley out there, and they're throwing the ball all over the way. He works on his mechanic. He works on his motion, throws a beautiful ball, and he becomes a quarterback in Oklahoma, which <clears throat> everybody was up for the Heisman. So you look at what transpired in Philadelphia is exactly what I'm telling you. They went out and got the pieces. They just said, hey, we got our guy. We just got to give him some help. And they got him two wide receivers that can fly, man. Look at what's happening in Miami with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Got to get rid yeah. of him. He's no good. He's too short. Why didn't we take Herbert? We took him instead. Da-da-da-da-da. And I've been sitting there going, mm -hmm, go ahead. In comes Waddle, in comes the other kid from uh, Tyreek Hill. And other than the last two games, uh, he has played extremely well. The, they are so much fun to watch. So that just supports my theory. Look, give them time, give them weapons, and the talent's there. Terry Bradshaw, I hope you have a great Christmas with your family. I know you got to work through part of it, but uh, I really appreciate you <laughs> yeah. joining me. And uh, I appreciate you always making time for me. We have some good conversations and we have a lot of fun and I appreciate it. So thank you so much. You're welcome, Peter. You're a good man. I enjoy uh, being in your company. You're a smart guy. You got a lot of knowledge there. And I like to, I like to listen to you talk and uh, you're a good friend. <laughs> I appreciate it. And, and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays Please. to you and your family. Please tell my wife you like to listen to me talk because oh. there are many times where all she wants me to do is shut up. So anyway, thank you. She, 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 hey, <laughs> and she, she loves needs, you being from Pittsburgh. So I'm going to tell she her. <laughs> she needs to recognize what a jewel you are. Okay. <laughs> hey, Terry, thanks a lot. Have a great, have a great holiday. You too, Peter. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My thanks to Terry Bradshaw uh, for some really enlightening stuff on the Immaculate Reception. I want to tell you a little bit about what Terry Bradshaw and Franco Harris are involved in uh, at this time of year. And that is, you know, this the NFT craze that you can own a little bit of history. So the NFT craze has hit the Immaculate Reception. And I'll tell you what's going to happen um, this week that if you're if you're interested in nfts i think it's really kind of cool so there's going to be two drops of possible nfts involving the immaculate reception some of you like me are probably real dopes about nfts and what they what exactly they are non-fungible tokens it allows you to own a little piece of the history of the Immaculate Reception. And so what is happening is that, you know, if you basically go on this website called luckytrader.com slash NFT, you'll see this, this, this thing about Bradshaw, the NFL all-day tokens that you can get to uh, allow yourself to own a piece of history that Franco Harris and Terry Bradshaw are putting out. This, uh, the drops are today, which is Tuesday, December 20th, in the afternoon Eastern time. So if you're interested, please go to luckytrader.com slash NFT and look for NFL all day and you'll see your ability to be able to go um, and just capture a piece of NFL history with a na- uh, uh, an NFT of the Immaculate Reception. So, Miles, just one quick thing about that, and then we'll get to the rest of the pod. I'll tell you, I had so many emails this week from people who were at the game or watching it on TV, particularly in Pittsburgh. But I had one from Oakland. Uh, he said Uh-oh. he said he was from Oakland, um, who still is bitter about it. And it reminds me of very late in John Madden's life, a couple of years ago, I texted him and I said, hey, I hear you have the telephone from that. um, I think I may have told this story on the pod before, but I I said, I hear you have the telephone from the dugout in Three Rivers Stadium that Fred Swearingen, the official used, the referee used to call upstairs to Art McNally to basically kind of what I've always been told to ask him for advice. Hey, what did you see? 
And McNally basically said, hey, you have to call it. I can't tell you what was on the replay. I can't, it's not, it's not what we do in the NFL. So and that's what I heard happen. And so a couple of years after the game, Madden found out that one of his uh, either equipment guys, somebody uh, with the Raiders traveling party, ripped the phone off the wall. Uh, they were so angry, but they ripped the phone off the wall in Three Rivers Stadium and took it home. And this guy gave the phone to John Madden. And I said, I'd love to talk to you about the phone and why you have it and what it means and you know how that has stuck with you. And I don't remember it word for word what he said in the response, but it was something like, we won't be talking about the telephone from Three Rivers Stadium that day. Bang, <laughs> that was it. And for the rest of his life, Madden was incredibly bitter about that game. Wow. And he was bitter because uh, he thinks that Fred Swearingen did get some advice from somebody. Who did he call? What was, what was said in the call? Everything like that. And you can hear it. If you search NFL films, you'll see Madden from about, I don't know, maybe 1985, 86. You can hear in his voice how much he is fuming like 14 years later. And, and, and again, that is one of those things. It's the reason why over the years that every time the Raiders won a Super Bowl, uh, Al Davis looked at Pete Rozelle with daggers for many reasons, but the immaculate reception, the result that day just burned the Raiders uh, over the years for the rest of their lives. Miles, let me ask you this question. You weren't born when the immaculate reception happened. So how did you learn about it? And, and over the years, does it hold any interest for you at all? That's a good question. Um, probably learn about it because when my mom was growing up, she was a big Franco Harris fan because they the Steelers were on TV all the time, right? So that was her favorite running back as she was growing up. She still loves Franco Harris, even though, and maybe I shouldn't publicly out her in saying this because, you know, we're a family that lives in Cleveland and she's the reason I'm a huge Browns fan too. So that's kind of a conflict of interest there, but <laughs> she left the Franco Harris thing kind of behind, you know, when she finally moved to Cleveland in the eighties and then, you know, got into the cardiac kids and all of those things and Bernie Kosar, you know, and then bad things happened with that too. So yeah, I think that that's probably how I first learned about it. And, you know, you, you learn about these things because, A, in Northeast Ohio, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is down the road. So that was always one of those things that I would do and I would grow up. You know, you go down there and you learn more about football history. Um, but also it's in Steelers lore. And, you know, Browns-Steelers such a big rivalry that you just kind of learn the history between those two teams. And what the history is is, you know, championships for one and both before one became the Super Bowl, I guess. Miles, we are entering now the territory that you and I both love. And that territory is called the lightning round. <laughs> All right. I said it was going to be 90 seconds, but we're actually going to keep it to 60 seconds. All oh, right. Keep it tight. We have eight topics and we are going to give these eight topics each one minute per topic. Okay. Are you ready? So I'm don't ready. hog all the time. If I give you the microphone first, don't hog all the time. 
All right, Miles Simmons, here we go. And I'm timing it. it. Miles Simmons, your MVP after 15 weeks. Go. Patrick Mahomes. And I I say that with all due respect to Jalen Hurts. In my mind, it's a two-man race unless Joe Burrow has like an outstanding, outstanding, outstanding last three weeks. But Mahomes is thrown for more yards and more touchdowns than anyone else. And especially after losing Tyreek Hill, I think you see the value that he brings to that position and to that team. Okay. I'm going to, for now, buy a hair. Give it to Jalen Hurts. But as I wrote in my column this week, I totally respect Patrick Mahomes' uh, job. And Andy Reid was politicking me the other day on the phone. You, you got to give it to Mahomes. Look at what he's done for this team. And I get it. I just am smitten with the running and the passing. I mean, Jalen Hurts, three touchdowns against the Chicago Bears on the ground in a game he didn't play particularly well, throwing the ball. And I don't care. I don't care how narrow that game was, how the Eagles didn't play great. They won the game. Okay, second topic, Matt Ryan. I'm going to start this. On Monday in my column, I had uh, the stats of Matt Ryan basically um, in the last eight minutes and 30 seconds, or I'm sorry, at the eight minutes and 30 second mark of the third quarter of the Super Bowl against New England and the Saturday game against Minnesota. After that point, 12 possessions for Matt Ryan. He put up three points, and he was outscored 70-3. to And I got a barrage of email that said, essentially, uh, what about the defense? Yes, you're right. The defense stunk. I get it in both cases. Matt Ryan cannot be exonerated for not playing well at all in the huge clutch moments of either of those games. Give me your thoughts. Well, I think Matt Ryan has been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league this year. He's got more turnovers than anybody else. He can't stop fumbling. He's thrown a bunch of picks. It has not looked good for Matt Ryan. And it's so unfortunate that he's been on the losing ends of both of these things. But, you know, when you're the quarterback, you get the praise, but you also get the blame. It's part of the position. Good. Bengals getting battle-tested just at the right time. Bengals have won six in a row. Miles, and I drew the comparison to what Bill Parcells told me a long time ago. In the NFC East, the reason why we play well in the playoffs is we get battle-tested by beating the crap out of each other every year. Plus, we got to play the 49ers and the Bears and a lot of good teams. Give me your thoughts on how the Bengals are playing and how dangerous they are entering the playoffs. I think the Bengals are great. You know, I think they really are one of the more dangerous teams. I I think sometimes we underrate them because of what we expect from the Chiefs and the Bills. But to me, the Bengals are right there. Now, the one thing that could be a real issue for them is their defensive ends right now. And Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard both are dealing with injuries. Now, they both should be back for the playoffs. But you want to clinch that division in the AFC North, and that's going to be a little bit tougher without those guys. Uh, We talked about the Patriots already. We talked about the Jets already. We're going to skip the Bills this week, and I'm going to talk about how much admiration I have for um, for the Miami Dolphins after the game they played now. You know, look, there's no uh, consolation prize. There's nothing that you get when you lose. 
my admiration comes from the offense woke up in horrible conditions in cold weather. Tua played well. He didn't play intergalactically well, but he played well. I really thought that Miami steadied the ship after two bad games in the state of California. Thoughts? Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I think we learned that Tua Tungavailoa can play in cold weather. And I think that was something that was still a question, right? I mean, the ball that he had for a touchdown that was down the right sideline, that was the best throw that he's had in the last couple of weeks. He didn't have any throws like that. I mean, really... Uh, against the Chargers in that game that I saw at SoFi Stadium. So they're in a better position now despite losing because they know that they've got their stuff back. And I, I think that's good for them down the stretch. Miles Simmons, you've got the floor. What should Michael Bidwill do with the Arizona Cardinals? Oh, I I mean, I, I think it's time to clean house. And I don't know why the extensions were announced through 2027 last off season. I didn't understand it then. And it's worked out just about the way I thought it would, which is poorly. So, you know, now whatever happens is happening medically with Steve Kime, you obviously wish him the best, right? But I think that the Cardinals were going to have to go through some sort of transition this off season. Anyway, it's not working with Cliff Kingsbury there. And it hasn't really worked with Steve Kime there, at least ever since Bruce Arians left. So I think they need to start fresh. They've at least got the quarterback in place. And I think Kyler Murray should be at least a pretty decent draw for a head coach to come in and say, all right, this is how we're going to build this thing around number one, despite the fact that he, you know, is going to have to go through a lot of rehab with the knee injury. Unfortunately, I hate to call for people's jobs, especially uh, during Christmas week. But in my opinion, I, I re, if I'm Michael Bidwell, and look, this is not one of the wealthier teams in the NFL. I think he's got a clean house. Um, Miles, Eagles-Cowboys Saturday. I find myself on Christmas Eve, I find myself hard-pressed to get excited about this game, the way the Cowboys have been playing. Um, and it looks like uh, a good possibility Gardner Minshew plays. Um, do you care about this game? It's lost the juice that it had at the beginning of the month, right? I mean, when the Cowboys played the way that they have, I mean, you go down to Jacksonville, you build a big lead, and then you lose. And credit to Jacksonville for coming back, but Dallas still lost the game, right? So that makes it lose some juice because now you really don't have much of a chance to to go after that NFC East title. And without Jalen Hurts, that also makes it lose something. You know, despite the fact that I, I like watching Gardner Minshew play, he's a decent quarterback. He can He's an NFL caliber quarterback, and we know that Philadelphia has good reason to prioritize backup QB. So I don't really know what's going to happen. I still think it's an interesting game, but it's certainly not as interesting as it should be, you know, based on what we felt like these two teams would be in December. I'm going to give you a chance in a moment to quiz me mercilessly on my marijuana habits. (laughs) But before that, I'm going to tell you one quick story about Gardner Minshew and the late Mike Leach. So in 2018, Mike Leach was looking for a quarterback for his team because unfortunately, 
his incumbent quarterback at Washington State, Tyler Halinski, committed suicide, and they did not have a quarterback that Mike Leach thought was a real Pac-12 high-level starter, so he went looking. And he stumbled on this guy who just finished his career at East Carolina, played okay, and had taken a job. Basically, he was going to be a grad assistant at Alabama under Nick Saban for a year. And then he was going to get into coaching. And that person was Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew at that time... uh, was going to start his coaching career, was bitter about not getting a shot uh, at the NFL or in a real good college program, although he was an excellent high school quarterback in Mississippi, but people just didn't have a high regard for him. So he's in Tuscaloosa, he's working, and, and one day his phone rings. It's the summer of 2018, and, uh, and, and he's started to work now for, for Nick Saban. And in 2018, he gets a phone call. It's Mike Leach. They discuss. He said, hey, I know you got a year of eligibility left. And uh, I, I have a position at Washington State for one year. For I, I, I might need a quarterback. I'm not promising you anything. Come up and win this job. And, and you could play a year in the Pac-12. Really help yourself. And Minshew went back and forth. Oh, coach, I just started this job with Coach Saban and and all this. And Mike Leach said these words to him almost exactly. He said, Gardner, what would you rather do this year? Work in an office and break down tape at Alabama or lead the NCAA in passing yards at Washington State? And... Gardner Minshew said, I don't know if it was at that moment or in a subsequent phone call, coach, I'm coming. He led the nation in passing yards in 2018. He becomes a quarterback in the sixth round for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Remember, Nick Foles gets hurt, and all of a sudden, the fans in in Jacksonville are wearing the phony mustaches on their face and they got Gardner Minshew fever. Anyway, I said we were going to go into a lightning round. I just hogged this time. I just thought you would like that story. I love that story. Oh, that's a great story. Anyway. That is a good story. And that's why And that's why Gardner Minshew, when Mike Leach died last week, Gardner Minshew was in tears yeah. when reporters talked to him on Wednesday last week. And, and I highlighted in my column, Jeff McClain of the Philadelphia Inquirer wrote a great story about... Uh, Gardner Minshew and Andre Dillard, two Washington State Cougars who played for Mike Leach, who were both emotionally wrought last week uh, by his death due to heart disease. Anyway, I give you the floor, Miles Simmons. Well, Peter, when I saw this clip on social media of you on the uh, Dan Levitard show with Stu Gatz and talking about, just as an aside, really, the fact that you once <laughs> smoked a doobie with the Doobie Brothers at Ohio University and then just kind of let it go. Like, oh, yeah, I guess that's, that was a one-time thing. Wait a minute. We need more details of this story. So <laughs> were you really into the Doobie Brothers? How did you get to be with the band? And exactly what were you talking about while on this doobie? 
I mean, that's just one of the, you have weird things that just happen to you all of a sudden in life. <laughs> this was a weird thing. So I was not a big pot smoker in college, but I occasionally, uh, you know, had a, had a little bit of weed, but not, not often. And I haven't done it in quite a long time, but, but anyway, uh, it was the, the fall of my senior year. I was one of the editors at the school newspaper, the post at Ohio U and we had a really good school paper. And one of the perks of being an editor, you basically worked, you know, 60 hours a week um, and had to go to college at the same time. It was tough. So one of the perks was um, there was this tradition at the time that when the uh, when concerts were announced that year, the top editors would each pick a concert during the course of the year and they would go cover it and write the review for the paper the next day. So I saw the, the list of concerts that year. Uh, you know what, you know, who else was there that year it was Billy Joel. <laughs> so, but anyway, so we got some pretty good, we got some pretty good people in Athens, Ohio. Yeah. Anyway, I guess so. so yeah, it was weird. So anyway, I love the doobies. Uh, and I went to the show, um, they kind of mailed it in, but hey, you know who knows. You got to be you got to be in Marietta, Ohio, the next day. So hey, uh, you got to get a you got to get a clean start out of Athens. But anyway, um, so I just remember the promoter of the show. I, we used to try to interview the bands when they came in. He said, "Yeah, come backstage. You can ask the guys a few questions and blah blah." So I went backstage. And there were like six or seven guys, maybe a couple of roadies, but there was Skunk Baxter, Mike McDonald, like really big guys at the time in rock music. And they were standing there in a circle smoking a reefer. And so uh, I started asking him a question. Somebody made room. So what am I going to do? Say no. So I just started smoking marijuana with the Doobie Brothers in Athens, Ohio in the fall of 1978. I don't remember anything about our conversation or anything. There's nothing particularly noteworthy about it. I don't, I don't remember what I wrote about it, but I said, this is one of the weird, I'm, I'm walking back from the Con convocation center in Athens, Ohio, back to our school paper in the middle of campus. And I said, nobody's going to believe it when I tell them this. So I told everybody and everybody was all bitter that they didn't get to be the to be the uh, uh, writer to cover that concert because obviously that was a perk that nobody else uh, usually got. I doubt the person who covered Billy Joel got to go backstairs and either do shots or uh, <laughs> smoke a marijuana cigarette with him. But anyway, that's the whole story. I've, I've basically laid it out to you and it was kind of a fun evening, um, but I don't have... The kind of, oh man, that's one of the coolest things I ever did. And I don't know exactly why. I think it's because I really, I thought it was a little bit of a conflict of interest to be smoking with the people I'm going to be writing about. But anyway, that's the story. Maybe a little bit of a conflict of interest, but you know, it's one of those times where we try, we got to bend, you know, our, our moral systems maybe a little bit, you know, just, <laughs> just for the story. What's your favorite Doobie Brothers song before we get out of here? Uh, probably China Grove. 
But, you know, basically so many artists that I really liked back in college, that, I mean, that I really, really liked, I, when I listen to them now, they've been so overplayed that I'm done with them. You know, and that goes, that's that add Billy Joel to that, add the Doobie Brothers. Like, there's a few that. Don't you dare uh, say I'm Springsteen. Still... They won't let you write about sports anymore. <laughs> no, listen. Well, no, I. Hey, listen, I saw Springsteen my freshman year on April Fool's Day in 1976 in Athens, Ohio. And Bruce, after the show, I was three rows from Clarence Clemens in the sacks. But. Uh, it was general admission seating that all died with the who no pun in, no bad pun intended um, in 1979 there's no more festival seating at concerts because kids were trampled and died there in Cincinnati but I'll tell you the interesting thing about about you know music back then I really like like for instance now I've had kind of a Joni Mitchell revival like I, I listen to her music a lot now uh, because I used to like it. And then for 30 years, I don't think I ever listened to Hajira or Coyote or whatever, Big Yellow Taxi. But now I'm really into them and it's fun to listen to again. But anyway, I don't know. We're, we're, we're way over time anyway. But Miles, listen, thanks a lot for uh, putting up with me as usual. Hope you have a great Christmas there in Ohio. Um, man, have so many fond memories in Ohio. Four years at Ohio University, five years at the Cincinnati Enquirer. I, I love, every time I go there, I've got incredible memories of Ohio. But anyway, that's it for this week's edition of the Peter King Podcast presented by Salesforce. My thanks to Miles Simmons, Terry Bradshaw, the NFT craze. And we'll see you next week. I'll be out in California with my family out uh, in the San Francisco area. So I'll be doing the pod from California next week. Hope everybody has a great holiday season. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.